MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, May 7th, 2020. Today, Trump winds down the coronavirus task force. Texas governor caught admitting the dangers of reopening on a private phone call. Trump wants to paint the border wall black to the tune of $500 million. Trump wishes women reporters were more like 50s housewives. The Arizona State Health Department tells ASU to stop its modeling work and limits data access. Kushner's COVID group is plagued by inexperience. Children are developing a mysterious syndrome after contracting coronavirus. The Rick Bright whistleblower complaint is out. Oh, no, wait, the Trump coronavirus task force is back on, and big companies are paying shareholder dividends and laying off workers. I'm your host, AG, and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. It's a lot of news. Yeah. What <laughs> idiot whiplash we're experiencing with the task force. Yeah, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, he, he said that uh, after he realized how popular it was, okay. uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna... Uh, keep doing it. And he told a reporter today when they asked, you know, some people were asking him why he wasn't wearing a face mask when he went to Honeywell in Arizona, which is a face mask company factory. Um, he said he was actually wearing a face mask. Uh, it, he was wearing it backstage. One? He used the words backstage. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he called it backstage. And I thought that was interesting. Like he was in the green room at Honeywell, I guess. And was wearing an, a mask then. So, yeah, don't believe what you see with your eyes. Believe what I tell you. Right. So we're, it's 1984 for sure. Yep. Uh, how are you doing? Your birthday's coming up this weekend. It is. Uh, it's on Friday. I'm very excited. Yay. Birthdays are a big thing in my family. My mom makes sure that they are celebrated adequately every year. So <laughs> this, this year <laughs> is kind of a bummer because we don't get to really... Um, be be together in a way that makes sense or is easy so that's kind of a bummer but other than that very excited gonna be 27 holy shit ah i do not remember that year so enjoy (laughs) it yeah i feel this like urge to become a real person very quickly all of a sudden 27 for some reason just sounds inexcusably higher than 26 for the shenanigans i've presently been living my life with Nah, you can take those shenanigans well into your 30s, I trust. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get my uh my grown-up job until I was 36, I think, so you got time. Yeah, but then it was a super dope job. So you got the best of both worlds. You got to have a good ass <laughs> fun ass life for a long time before you hunkered down and then you just like got a really dope job. It was weird. I, it was uh, it was much like the uh, disbanding and rebanding of the coronavirus task force. It was a lot of whiplash. When I was 26, I was working in corporate America. Be, I was an auditor. I made a shitload of money. Then I stopped and I was in a 
band and I worked at Guitar Center part time to get the discount for like four years. Then uh, I went back to uh, hotel restaurant management and the service industry for for many years and then uh, got my my dope ass job with the federal government, which I don't have anymore. And now I'm doing this. So it's (laughs) it's been a back and forth. But yeah, my first grown up job other than the Navy, which I mean, I don't know if you consider that a grown up job. Everybody's 18. Um, yeah, when I was 36, so shenanigans abound. (laughs) Shenanigans abound. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we do have a lot of news to get to. I know you've got a lot of updates for us, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So the multitude of headlines I hit in the intro, you've got a few of them to go over. Uh, what do you what do you have for us? I do. Uh, yes. One of them is the story that you were mentioning about major companies still paying dividends to their shareholders while they're cutting and furloughing jobs just left and right. So that's just really frustrating and it's hard to take it as anything other than these big companies looking out for their shareholders and not actually looking out for the people that oftentimes are getting paid minimum wage and essentially are the backbone of their company. Um, there's a lot of companies that were mentioned in this article that I was reading. Caterpillar is one of them. Uh, they suspended operations at two plants and a foundry. Levi Strauss is one of them. They've closed stores. Uh, Stanley Black & Decker, the tool maker, they've been laying off people left and right and furloughing people. Uh, Steelcase, they're an office furniture manufacturer. And World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, <laughs> they've also <laughs> been shedding employees. Uh, but but yeah, the payouts th- that are being awarded rewarded to their shareholders are still just huge. And, and it's like kind of insane. Caterpillar, for example... They announced a $500 million distribution to shareholders on April 8th. And that was two weeks after indicating that operations at some plants would stop. Uh, and while all of this is happening and these shareholders are still getting their money and, you know, people on the board are saying some of them are taking pay cuts, but who really knows what's truly happening and how money is being moved around uh the companies are declining to say how many workers are actually affected but still just maintaining this you know very political messaging uh here's a direct quote from caterpillar spokeswoman kate kenny she said we are taking a variety of actions globally but we aren't going to discuss the number of impacted people which is a very convenient thing to say for someone that is being scrutinized for not taking care of said people hmm so that's just a shitty thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, kind of saw it coming, though. Yeah, just just because of their business practices in general, or or was there something else? Yeah, just that. Just that's what they did last time. That's what they did with the tax cut um, a few years ago when it was supposed to trickle down. I mean, this is just another headline. I mean, that might as well read "trickle down economics is bullshit." Right. And what's frustrating is because, like, I you know, there's. There's nothing that says they can't do that, right? As long as they're not defrauding people or or whatever. And I know that, like, you have... uh, I forget what the terminology is example is exactly, sorry. Um, But you have, like, a... What is that called? Like, due diligence? Like, you, you have to basically, beyond a reasonable doubt, be able to prove that you're doing the most that you can to, to, like pay out your shareholders essentially and be responsible with the money that they've given you but 
it's like where does where do you draw the line always gets drawn in the sand in a way that fucks over the actual people that are doing the work for the company itself mm-hmm. and that's that's like okay as our system is right now there's nothing that says you have to do due diligence to make sure that the people that are actually working are being taken care of but there are laws that say you have like that you have to take care of your shareholders well, the Democrats, including Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, wanted provisions in the stimulus bill that would disallow uh, stock buybacks and, and dividends to be paid to shareholders and and install protections for workers, meaning you have to retain a certain amount of your workforce. Those didn't make it past Mitch McConnell. Um, and so, you know, here we are. And, and, and I think... I, I doubt there was one single Democrat, uh, Democratic lawmaker that was like, oh, maybe they'll maybe they'll do the right thing. Um, they knew that when those provisions weren't put in into the CARES Act, that that this is what would happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Uh, but like you said, just kind of more of the same. I need to learn more about legal. How- yeah, right. Exactly. It's legal. Very legal and very cool. Another example of that. <laughs> um, my my second story is about Jared Kushner, who last time I think we actually talked oh. about him in detail was related to this story. But he he was you know tasked with leading the effort to essentially take charge of of the troops and assemble a team to tackle some of COVID nineteen's biggest problems, uh, or or the biggest resulting problems, and. He's failing, and there's been official. There's complaints are being filed, and people are talking to the press about how he's failing. So, I'm just going to go over a little bit of some reporting that Washington posted about this. But essentially, what's happening? It's he's being accused very credibly so of relying on volunteers from consulting and private equity firms that have like little to no experience at all in the tasks that they were assigned. And so essentially this is just making for an incredibly inefficient process and the kinds of stuff that they're being tasked with doing is like procuring PPE, for example. So there's people in these positions that have either they were really poorly matched with what they're supposed to be doing or they just across the board have little to no experience in the skills that are actually needed to presumably run this group of people effectively but one of those tasks like i said is you know securing ppe for hospitals nationwide and if you don't have someone that's competent in that position doing it it's not likely that it's going to be uh gotten done well and the yeah. house house oversight committee they they filed a complaint last month actually to look into things like that uh it's one thing i think what's frustrating the team they they helped uh for example vet the leads and send the results to a procurement team at fema and so when we think about you know this whole procurement process makes zero sense and you know fema is now like also bidding and and what's happening this is just more of the sort of inner workings of those random links that really don't make any sense you have people that aren't that now aren't qualified that are getting thrown into this process which makes zero sense whatsoever and is being combated by decisions like banding together as individual states in trying to go to bid you know together 
it's it's just like mm-hmm. more more dysfunction essentially and there's just some more official call outs happening against Kushner and one of the people that's confirming all this was someone that actually sat on this you know board if you can call it that uh, themselves and then there's a lot of people within the administration that also confirmed a lot of the details that came out of this reporting and this complaint so pretty credible and very easy to believe that Kushner is mismanaging a team filled with unqualified people yeah and 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 he's you know trying to wrangle contract awards through the government for his buddies right. and there's not one single person on his group has any healthcare experience which is why when you know we were in the department of uh, veteran affairs and kushner took over modernization of the department of veterans affairs having zero healthcare experience no military experience and not a veteran uh, everyone was like huh okay mm-hmm. um this is the unqualified i think is is just the key word for this entire administration you've got walker the new judge appointed the dc circuit court of appeal that's probably appeals that's probably going to make it through the senate he's totally unqualified you got rick grinnell not one ounce of intelligence experience as the dni and the odni and they're nominating ratcliffe who has actually lied about his intelligence experience uh on his resume (laughs) yeah it's baffling he's even allowed back in the the playing field at all. I know. And he'll make it. He'll get through. It's just fucking ridiculous. Susan Collins, uh, even though she's probably concerned, uh, will vote for him. So it's just it's bananas. Everyone is just so wildly unqualified. And not just that, but also compromised and can't pass a security check. They had to sort of disband the whole background check process. They are ignoring that. It's just it's bananas. And, and we have to we just have to vote. Yeah, definitely. And there's also, you know, I'm glad that you're touching on the sketchy part of this because that is 100% present. Supply chain volunteers apparently were even instructed to like fast track PPE leads uh, from VIPs, quote unquote, which include conservative journalists who are Mm. like chummy with Trump. And that's just, again, so awful and corrupt it's gross another thing that warrants an entire investigation into his conduct and another thing that if that investigation is even allowed to go through to any degree whatsoever is only to be called out and yelled about as some sort of partisan witch hunt which is just so the hardest thing about all this stuff for me i think is just watching it continue to unfold in front of our eyes and just like know how it goes because we've seen how it goes he does bad shit in front of everybody lies about said bad shit, proof comes out about the bad shit, and then people try to hold him accountable, but he still comes out on top. And it's, it's, it's fucking sucks. So that's happening. Yeah. And, and actually this just came out, um, across my desk, um, a story from the Washington Post, top Republican fundraiser and Trump ally is now been installed as the postmaster general. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Um, uh, he uh, top donor to President Trump and the RNC will be named the new head of the Postal Service, putting a top ally of the president in charge of an agency where Trump has long pressed for major changes. Um, and the Postal Service's Board of Governors confirmed late Wednesday that Louis DeJoy, a North Carolina businessman who's currently in charge of fundraising for the RNC in Charlotte, North Carolina, will serve as the new Postmaster General. Great. So he can hmm. finally get the retaliation he's always wanted. Yeah, he's going to up the prices on Amazon and he's going to probably... He, I'm here's my f- fucking terrified uh, tinfoil hat, super space beans, chemtrails shit. Is is he's gonna have control over mail in ballots now? Mm. Oh God, 
Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's totally true. So now it's like, imagine if his number one plan is to not have the election at all, and his number two plan is to go all mail-in ballots, and now he has control over that, like he said. Yikes. Yeah. Well, there's that. Um, My next story is a COVID-19 sort of, you know, on the ground what's happening to humans story. Uh, the We talked about this inflammatory syndrome that ha- was happening in Europe in some children. And some cases have popped up in New York, 15 children, a lot of which had COVID-19 or had the antibodies for COVID-19 were recently hospitalized in New York with something that looks like it's the same syndrome. Uh, they range from ages 2 to 15, and all the symptoms are s- symptoms that are associated with toxic shock or Kawasaki disease, which is a really rare illness, apparently, uh, but it involves inflammation of the blood vessels, including coronary arteries, and this is all according to the city's health department. So currently no one has died from complications related to that inflammation but it's still something that obviously they're gonna they really need to start studying and figuring out because it's not it's it's not common in general and really seems to be correlated with COVID-19 so we can expect more studies to happen and more information to come out about that as that unfolds and hopefully that situation does not get worse yeah wow so there's that and then my my um Final stories coming out of Arizona. Arizona Department of Health Services told a team of university experts that were working on COVID-19 modeling and projections to pause their work. And why they're asking them to pause is because they said they're instead going to rely on a model from FEMA. This is a model that hasn't been released to the public yet. So, basically, they're just telling the scientists, uh, we got another guy now. Thanks for all of your work, but we're going with this cat over here. A cat that happens to be seemingly licking the butthole of Trump, which sucks. So, that's pretty much what's happening there it's hard it's especially since it's in arizona is it if it was in another state it would be a it would be harder for me to just jump to the conclusion but now anytime i read fema and especially if it's in coordination with a state that's had a history of just like awful awful conservative policies that are really dumb and make no sense um it's it's it looks like they don't want to hear what the actual scientists have to say because now they have this other group of people that are saying stuff that the president more closely agrees with so it's also very convenient that they're shutting this group down because their models showed that reopening at the end of may was pretty much the safest scenario and anything before that was going to be a really bad idea and was just going to result in people needing to go back inside again and instead arizona is not heeding those warnings and they're planning on reopening in the coming days there's talk about that so that's what's going on currently in Arizona and I really hope that I mean that's like a state thing that's that's the people this didn't have to happen but the leaders in the state chose to allow that to happen and that's disappointing hmm yeah I understand like 
ideally we would have one group that everybody could just trust we'd have one group of scientists or or at least like some conglomerate of scientists and experts everybody could trust and we would all be operating off of the same models like that that 100 would make way more sense but we just have this situation now where these different groups have been politicized which is worst case scenario that we have certain like health groups that are now aligned with certain political parties it is truly kind of a nightmare and it's playing out right now in arizona it seems if i'm overreacting let me know anyone that's listening or anyone that lives in arizona all right jordan well thanks for those updates um man (laughs) i I, dude i like sometimes i just feel so helpless you know i feel you with everything that's going on yep i feel you vote that's what i got i can vote and i can tell everybody to vote that's what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. totally all right well we've got uh more headlines coming up and then of course you'll be back to join me later in the show for the good news block and quarantine confessions so everybody stick around we'll be right back after these messages we'll be right back Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by TheZebra.com. In this crazy COVID time, we're all trying to save money, but at the same time, Americans are overpaying on car insurance by an estimated $21 billion a year. Oftentimes, searching for a better deal can take hours, and usually results in a barrage of unwanted spam calls and having to deal with a pushy salesperson, but not anymore, and that's thanks to TheZebra.com. They make comparing rates safer and easier, and you can save up to $670 a year. TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site because it's the only place you can compare quotes side-by-side from over 100 providers and choose the best for you in 90 seconds or less. TheZebra.com is an unbiased, independent service that allows you to compare rates from hundreds of insurance providers, including all of the top companies, all in one place. Plus, they'll never sell your information to the spammers. That means no scummy spam emails or annoying unwanted calls. You just answer a few questions on a simple fast form and they find you the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch calls the Zebra Kayak for auto insurance. And Time says the Zebra is your best bet to compare car insurance rates across companies. Not everyone who uses the Zebra finds a lower rate, but those who do save an average of $368 per year. The best part is that it's completely free with no spam. There's no risk. I know we could all use that extra cash right about now, and we aren't driving like we like we have been, you know, in the before times. So your rate could use an adjustment anyway. So why not check out thezebra.com? How much can you save on car and home insurance? Go today and start saving at thezebra.com slash daily beans. That's thezebra.com slash daily beans, spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash daily beans. Hey, everybody. All right, welcome back. Uh, from Forbes yesterday... This was weird. President Donald Trump has made it clear he doesn't like women who don't fit the traditional female stereotype. Uh, He likes those gender roles, the really old gender roles from like the 50s. Um, First, it was Hillary Clinton. Now he's singled out two CBS news journalists suggesting they are no, quote, Donna Reed, unquote. Uh, In an interview with The New York Post, uh, what a great magazine. Trump named two journalists who particularly irritate him. Um, which is Jang and Reed, Paula Reed. Uh, he described his interactions with them. It wasn't Donna Reed, I can tell you that. Uh, Donna Reed, in case you don't know, portrayed the perfect American housewife in the 1950s and 60s, starring opposite Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life and playing a housewife on The Donna Reed Show. I used to watch that uh, on Nick at Night <laughs> when I was in high school. According to Trump, not only are these women no Donna Reed, but they're also angry. He says, quote, Paula Reed, she's sitting there and I say, how angry? I mean, what's the purpose? They're not even tough questions, but you see the attitude of these people. It's incredible. Uh, in reality, 
um, read, the journalist got under Trump's skin on April 13th when she pressed him on what he had done during the month of February to prepare for coronavirus. At the time, Trump called her disgraceful. Uh, Jian questioned Trump on April 19th about why he didn't warn Americans about the virus sooner. And he told her to just relax and keep your voice down. So anyway, Donna Reed is what we're all supposed to be. A very Stepford, um, you know. Under his eye. Uh, and from the Washington Post, President Trump is once more pushing to have his border wall painted black. Uh, a design change that is projected to add about $500 million to the bill. That's according to government contracting estimates obtained by the Washington Post. Um, the president's determination to have the steel bollards coated in black has fluctuated during the past several years. And military commanders and border officials believed as recently as last fall they had finally talked him out of it. But I guess not. He's back on it. They consider the black paint unnecessary, costly, and a significant long-term maintenance burden. This is out in the hot desert sun baking. Um, and they left it out of the original U.S. Customs and Border Protection design specs. Um, but Trump is stuck on this. You know how he gets st stuck on shit. Uh, he has not let go of this idea, insisting the dark color will enhance its forbidding appearance and leave the steel too hot to touch during summer months. During a border wall meeting at the White House last month amid the coronavirus pandemic, the president told senior advisor Jared Kushner and aides to move forward with the paint job uh, and to seek out cost estimates, according to four administration officials with knowledge of the meeting. I just imagine Earl Schaub, Earl Schaub, I can paint that wall for thirty nine ninety five. So he wants to paint it black. Um, Trump. But during that meeting, he directed aides to seek input from North Dakota based Fisher Sand and Gravel a company the president favors. Fisher has four, a $400 million contract to build a section of New Barrier in Arizona, an award that is under review by the Department of Defense Inspector General. So I wonder what his connections are there. Uh, we're going to go over the... <laughs> there's just so much cronyism um, in, in contract awards with this administration. We'll, we'll go over a little bit more when we get to the whistleblower report here in a few minutes. Um, but the Post, Washington Post obtained a copy of painting estimates that federal contracting officials produced. It shows a cost ranging from $500 million for two coats of acrylic paint uh, to more than $3 billion for a premium powder coating on the structure's 30-foot steel bollards. Um, that's the high end of the options um, that the officials have identified. That's that, you know, that black ceramic powder coating. Um, you put it on motorcycle exhausts or... Um, truck beds, that kind of thing. That's that's a $3 billion price tag. During a private call on Friday, however, we're switching over here to a border state, Texas. And on a private call, Texas Governor Greg Abbott admitted that every scientific and medical report shows state reopenings, ipso facto, lead to an increase in novel coronavirus cases, even as he publicly announced plans that same week to end an executive stay-at-home order in the state. Quote, how do we know reopening businesses won't result in a faster spread of more COVID-19? Abbott asked during a Friday afternoon phone call with members of the state legislature and Congress. Listen, he said, the fact of the matter is pretty much every scientific and medical report shows whenever you have a reopening, whether you want to call a reopening of businesses or just a reopening of society uh, in the aftermath of something like this, it will actually lead to an increase of spread. And it's almost ipso facto. Just, you know, just of course there's going to be more cases. The more you have people out there, the greater the possibility is for transmission, he said on the call, which a spokesperson confirmed was authentic on Tuesday. Uh, and he also is quoted as saying the goal never has been to get transmission down to zero. 
The audio was recorded by somebody on the call, and a clip of it was sent to the Daily Beast on Tuesday. Oopsie. Oopsie doodle. It was first reported by a state political site, Quorum. Uh, the Quorum report, which noted that Abbott's public statements so far have largely only mentioned that Texas may see an increase in the numbers due to increasing testing, increased testing capacity rather than increased contact. Though Abbott has repeatedly said in public interviews that reopening can or could cause spikes in cases, the audio recording from last Friday's call appeared to show a more direct and certain understanding of, of this risk. They are putting your lives in danger for the economy so you can go back to your shitty job and get paid ass and not have health care, which they're also trying to fight now in, in the Supreme Court. They're trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, kick millions of people off insurance in the middle of a pandemic. Cool. But uh, the big news from yesterday is the whistleblower complaint from Dr. Bright from the Department of Health and Human Services. If you have not read this complaint, I highly recommend you take a few minutes. I've tweeted it out from the uh, at Muller She Wrote account on Twitter. It is a truly disturbing look into the outsized influence of pharmaceutical consultant from the private sector and a Trump political appointee within the department had on contracts and decisions about how to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. This reminds me, uh, we reported on this a while ago, of the three Mar-a-Lago doctor guys, the private sector rich doctors who were members at Mar-a-Lago, who were shadow running the Department of Veterans Affairs. So this is sort of a thing with them, private world business consultants, uh, you know, putting undue influence on government officials, scientists who know better. Uh, from the Washington Post, quote, a former top vaccine official removed from his post last month alleged in a whistleblower complaint on Tuesday that he was reassigned to a less prestigious role because he tried to, quote, prioritize science and safety over political expediency. And he raised health concerns over a drug repeatedly pushed by the president as a possible cure for coronavirus. Of course, we're talking about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. Rick Bright, former director of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, was removed on April 20th after having served as the BARDA director for nearly four years. Uh, he got glowing reviews. He was an outstanding employee, according to the reviews obtained by the Post. He was reassigned to a narrower role at the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Health and Human Services, touted as part of a bold new plan to improve testing to defeat COVID-19. That's obviously the disease caused by coronavirus. This is very common if you work for the federal government. You will hear, this is a bold new plan to restructure for modernization, quote, unquote. Something happened to my job, as a matter of fact. Bright portrays himself in the 89-page complaint as an administration health official trying to sound the alarm about the virus beginning in early January. He says he called for the rapid development of treatments and vaccines, as well as the stockpiling of additional N95 respirators, face masks, and ventilators, at a time when Health and Human Services political leadership, including Secretary Alex Azar, appeared to him to be underestimating the threat. He also notes that he clashed with his boss, Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response at Health and Human Services, named Dr. Robert Cadlack. For at least two years, they clashed. He alleges in, in his whistleblower complaint that Dr. Cadlack and others pressured him to buy drugs and medical products for the nation's stockpile of emergency medical equipment from companies that were linked to politically or linked politically to the administration and he resisted such efforts there's actually one off the top of my head here there's a he he talked about a situation where 
uh, they wanted to put uh, a million pills of a, of a drug into the national stockpile uh, that had already that the, this is for influenza that had already they'd already the flu had already mutated to be resistant to this drug, but they wanted a million more pills to go in there, and they're like, well, he 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 recommended this new drug that, that uh, actually isn't resistant to new strains of influenza. We should use that. And everyone at FDA and Health and Human Services, all the doctors and scientists are like, yeah, don't use the old drug. It doesn't work anymore. Let's use the new one and put it in the national stockpile. But nope, they lost that battle. And um, let's see here. Dr. Bright's lawyers uh, happen to be Deborah Katz and Lisa Banks, uh, who represented Christine Blase Ford and her whistleblower complaint against Brett Kavanaugh. I like beer. Uh, and they say that uh, Bright, Dr. Bright came under pressure from Cadillac to award contracts based on political connections and cronyism, quote, unquote, political connections and cronyism. One of the CEOs of a drug company that they wanted to use to restock the national stockpile was a friend of Jared Kushner's. And Dr. Cadillac and this outside pharmaceutical fuckface, like, pushed him to to continue a contract that was no longer beneficial. That's a separate story. But it's just all of this cronyism going on. Not paying attention to science, only paying attention to money. Dr. Bright asserts in the complaint he resisted pressure from HHS uh, to make potentially harmful drugs widely available, including chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. Uh, the document describes in one such clash in mid-March, just very recently, after Bayer offered to donate 3 million chloroquine pills to the national stockpile, which is run by uh, Health and Human Services Office of the Assistant Secretary of Preparedness and Response. That's his boss. BARDA officials raised concerns over the donation because of a lack of evidence over the drug's safety and efficacy. And these pills, these Bayer pills, came from facilities in Pakistan and India that were not approved by the FDA and therefore were not approved for use in the United States. The Bayer donation ultimately went forward, and Bright received an urgent directive in a memo from, from Health and Human Services General Counsel Bob Charo to make the drug widely accessible outside of hospital settings and without close physician supervision. Another issue he raises in the complaint is the administration's slow response on N95 face masks. They're called respirators. He alleges in the complaint that for nearly five weeks, five weeks, HHS leadership failed to heed warnings. The country was facing a massive shortage of protective equipment for healthcare workers. And in that time, a major manufacturer contacted Dr. Bright and offered to activate an, like old production lines. But Bright couldn't get traction with supervisors to fund the effort. He couldn't get funding. And instead, sensing no urgency... The manufacturer, which is Prestige Ameritech, proceeded to export millions, a million masks to China. Well, Health and Human Services, BARDA, seems like they don't need them, so we'll send these to China. Prestige Ameritech did not immediately respond to the Washington Post for a request for comment. And in another email provided as part of this whistleblower complaint, Brett Gerrard, Grier, Mr. Cheese, uh, that's the admiral, that's the testing czar. Uh, he used to work at University of Texas. He wrote, um, we really want to flood New York and New Jersey with treatment courses, referring to hydroxychloroquine, basically instructing Dr. Bright to send these non-FDA-inspected factory-generated p- 
pills of hydroxychloroquine, which has been shown to be more harmful than good, to flood New York and New Jersey with these pills out of Pakistan and India. It's absolutely just an incredible document. And I've seen this throughout the government. If you've worked for the government, any of my federal government employee listeners out there, you know about COs and CORs and requests for bids and uh, how that whole thing has to go through. And now they have outside private sector pharmaceutical consultants pushing to get their friends these contracts. It's an astounding read. If you have a few minutes, seriously, take a look at the whistleblower complaint. And uh, Dr. Bright will be testifying before the House Energy Subcommittee on Health on May 14th. That's two days after we are going to have the uh, Dr. Fauci testifying for the Senate on May 12th. And also May 12th is the Deutsche Bank Mazars SCOTUS case that will be heard via teleconference live. It's going to be an interesting week. Um, so you're going to want to stick around for that. Definitely listen to it. We'll be right back. Uh, we're going to discuss the justiciability issue with the Supreme Court Deutsche Bank and Mazars case right after this break with uh, co-host of Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I've got to tell you guys about this amazing new service I found called FrameBridge. I absolutely love it. FrameBridge makes it ridiculously easy and affordable to custom frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. From art prints and diplomas and stuff you already have to family photos and stuff that's sitting on your phone. Um, you can FrameBridge just about anything. Here's how it works. You just go to FrameBridge.com. Uh, and you upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Uh, you preview your item online in dozens of frame styles. You can choose your favorite, or you can get free recommendations. Free recommendations from their designers. And the experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Uh, instead of all the hundreds you'd pay to go to a framing store, which you can't go to anyway right now because we're all in lockdown. And the prices start just at $39. And all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when you use my code DAILYBEANS. Uh, I love FrameBridge. Uh, I'm using them to get a huge framed image of Mueller. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we are our own heroes, correct? Uh, but no, I, I have a bunch of like podcast photos on my phone that I'm, I'm getting framed to put in my little office area uh, because it's just it's so quick and simple. So get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS to save an additional 15% off your first order. Go to FrameBridge.com, promo code DAILYBEANS. That's FrameBridge.com and promo code DAILYBEANS. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, joining me today for the interview is real-life lawyer and intrepid co-host of the podcast Opening Arguments, Andrew Torres. Andrew, how are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic, AJ. How are you? Good. Long. It's been like a month. I'm, I'm happy to get to speak to you again. Uh, I, I was jonesing for my uh, interview fix, so <laughs> I'm glad you invited me back on. Yeah, yeah. You still have to, you know, beat John Cryer for the best interview ever, and so you have every chance, you know, you get, you should take. I I like to think of it as, you know, John John's about to suffer the death of a thousand cups. <laughs> Taken down Lex Luthor. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I wanted to have you on is because uh, last week I had um, Steve Vladek on to talk about. Some briefings that the Supreme Court asked for from both sides in the Deutsche Bank Mazars case, which they've kind of rolled up into one little case, and they're going to be hearing it uh, live, well, on the phone, and we'll be hearing it live on May 12th, which is also, I think, incidentally, when uh, Fauci is going to testify in front of a, a Senate committee. 
Um, so that distraction is in place. But um, I, I wanted to, you, there seemed to be different takes because I had walked away from that conversation thinking that somebody on Supreme Court said, hey, we just got a case uh, by a three panel, the three judge panel in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals dismissed due to justiciability because the, the court said, I believe it was the McGahn case. It's not up to us. You, 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 you're the Congress. You have subpoena power. And so I felt like they were just sort of getting out ahead of that. Uh, and of course, when they issue these call f- calls for briefings, we don't know who specifically on the, the uh, which of the justices are asking for it. And I think that that if we knew that we would kind of know <laughs> where this was going. Yeah. Uh, but what, what you use, you, you seem to say that this is a definite indication that they are looking to dismiss this for justiciability. But ha- I mean, how does that dovetail with precedent i mean that's that's not that's not the argument trump makes and it's certainly never happened this way in the supreme court before yeah and and uh, boy there is a lot to unpack there so um let me let me make sure that that i hit all of it um first you, you are correct uh, that a uh, three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit in the McGahn case, that was the House uh, Committee on the Judiciary, seeking to enforce its uh, subpoena requiring Don McGahn to testify. And inexplicably, I mean, in, in what lawyers, even you know Trump-adjacent and sympathetic lawyers, uh, I think will privately tell you is just a decision that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, the DC circuit decided to one that that was not a justiciable question and therefore they lacked jurisdiction to hear the case. Um, the, the, the house immediately petitioned for an en banc review, uh, of the entire case. Um, so the, so the entire, so instead of it being a three judge panel, it will be the entire DC circuit minus two Trump appointees that have recused themselves for reasons that, uh, are not expressed. Um, it, they're absolutely going to reverse on justiciability. Yeah. You could tell by just listening to the arguments in that case that, that, that panel of judges, uh, at the DC circuit court of appeal on bonk was like, no, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that oral argument was like a couple days ago. So um, so that is coming. They are going to reverse. I do not think. And again, I I was not a Supreme Court clerk. Um, I was not smart enough to to be one. Um, I did. I did apply uh, like everybody, but uh, I I was turned down. Um, it, It would surprise me to see in a case that is itself consolidated with several other cases, you know, with a, with another case and related to a third case, right? So the Deutsche Bank and the Mazars cases are also, uh, they those two are consolidated on the briefing and they are related, uh, linked to the, the Vance, the Second Circuit uh, New York Attorney General case, right? So that's a lot on a Supreme Court clerk's plate. And to anticipatorily prior to oral argument before the beyond bank dc circuit say oh a collateral issue was raised in a non-linked ca- I, did that seemed like a bit of a stretch to me my take was pretty straightforward which is at any point in time when the when the supreme court requests additional briefing that will deny you the relief that you want um that's not a good thing right mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the justiciability issue was was not raised uh, by uh, by Trump 
uh, in his cert petition or uh, in the brief on the merits, um, other than in a in a tiny footnote on page 59 of a 61 page brief, right? So not an argument that Trump is making. Um, and we can talk about, you know, what the implications are. And, and immediately, I mean, my mind just sort of jumped to the way in which the Roberts court um, basically swept all of the um, gerrymandering cases kind of out of court, right? They, mm-hmm. they said, look, um, we're, we're going to rule. And again, this is flabbergasting, right? Like to say, you do not have a judicial remedy when the electoral process is corrupted, that your remedy, it says this in the opinion, your your remedy is the electoral process, is just, you know, it's the kind of thing that law students are going to be making fun of this court for in, in 20 years. Um, I, I, I should say, um, and I'll try to do it as quickly as possible, like, when the court says that a case is non-justiciable, that means that they lack the jurisdiction to hear it, that it is not a live case or controversy, not because there isn't a dispute, but because it's not the kind of thing that the Supreme Court should be hearing. And so the court, as you as you point out, right, the court can raise that at any time. They can ask the parties, hey, are you sure we should we should be here? Is this the kind of thing that the Supreme Court can resolve? And and I would think it makes sort of perfect logical and legal sense and it, and it you know complies with past precedent to say, yeah, when the executive branch and the legislative branch disagree over a thing, the only place to go is the judicial branch. Um, but but uh, I could certainly see uh, the the Roberts court in an, in an effort to to bail out Trump um, deciding, uh, okay, here's how we're going to hand him a victory without handing him a victory on the merits. Yeah. And I mean, on one hand, it could be the justices saying, all right, we just had this happen in the McGann case. That's going to be overturned. How embarrassing. Why don't we get put this baby to bed before we even start oral arguments? Or, uh, which is kind of what you're suggesting, I believe it, it takes four justices to agree to hear a case on the merits uh, in the Supreme Court. And if the five conservative justices are the ones who wanted to hear this case, um then asking for those briefings could be an indication that they plan on it heavily considering justiciability as a as a thing. Now, my question here is: Deutsche Bank and Mazars, if if everybody remembers going back to back in the day in the before times, um, <laughs> they had said they were ready to hand all the shit over, and 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 Congress was like, "Cool, let's see it," and then. Uh, there, there was a, uh, but Hey, could, could you just, you know, give us a subpoena? It was called like a friendly subpoena. Uh, in both cases, they said, we're willing to hand over everything. We just want a subpoena on the record so that, you know, the fat man doesn't get mad at us or whatever. Um, just so there's no question. It sort of covers their ass. If, if, if anything ever comes up, they have a subpoena on file from Congress that they're just, wait, we're just complying with subpoenas over here. So if SCOTUS dismisses this on justiciability. They say, this isn't our jurisdiction. The courts aren't here to, to fight this battle for you, even though that's what the Trump uh, administration is arguing, um, or has argued in the past, at least. Uh, then wouldn't Deutsche Bank and Mazars be like, well, uh, we can go ahead and th- th- it's over. The, the court didn't say we can't, so let's 
do what we were said we were going to do and hand over the documents. I mean, it sort of seems like they would do that. And then secondarily, this while that would be like a little temporary win, this is this kind of decision would be very bad for Congress going forward, because how would they enforce subpoenas? Uh so let's work backwards, right? And 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 the the second part is absolutely true, right? If if these kinds of cases are non-justiciable, it will be very very bad for Congress. Um, I will point out that reducing the power of Congress to enhance the power of the executive and secondarily the judiciary is the key item on the agenda at the Federalist Society right now and for the past decade, right? It, it's it's the unitary executive theory. So you're absolutely correct on the second part, and we can, we can talk a little bit about inherent contempt powers and that kind of thing. Um, but, but let's talk about um, Deutsche Bank and and Mazar's responses, right? So you're you're correct as a matter of procedural history, and the reason that 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 banks behave that way, and an accounting firm behaves that way, um, is because you don't want to get sued by your client, right? You want to say, uh, and there and the contracts will say, right? Um, hey, we agree to keep your confidential information confidential unless required to turn over your documents by a valid order of court or, uh, you know, otherwise as required by law. And and here's where we enter into a, a total unknown if the court throws these out on justiciability, because you, you are correct, right, that that then you will have a situation where Congress says, um, OK, uh, we've issued you a valid subpoena. And what will go alongside that is if if Trump is reelected um, is an instruction from the Department of Justice, uh, accompanied by a letter by the Office of Legal Counsel that says, in our opinion, it would be illegal for you to comply with these subpoenas because the president has absolute executive immunity. Now, that that won't be worth the paper it's printed on because it, it's just going to be Bill Barr and OLC saying, we think the law is this thing that it obviously isn't. Um, but if you're Mazars, you you know, what are you going to do if you're Deutsche Bank, right? Like, what are you going to do at that point? You now have one body saying you do have to comply with the subpoena and you have another body saying, no, you don't. Um, and and my view is that you just sort of throw up your hands and go, hey, well, no, no, you know, there's no ultimate adjudication here. So, you know, we're going to stick by our policy of not disclosing confidential information. I'd, I'd love to be wrong on that. Right. Right. Um, but that's how I sort of see this playing out if uh, if the Supreme Court says that, that it's not justiciable. Well, right. And if you do, if you do, I mean, you're obviously if I were Deutsche Bank or Mazars and you there, you run a risk of exposing yourself by handing over these documents. And if you find out if somebody says you don't have to, why would you do that? And so the other question, though, here is like, let's say. Uh, they they throw it out on justiciability, and they re- Congress reissues the subpoena and says, "All right, we're subpoenaing you now." And they said, "No, we've had for the last hundred years the way that we deal with people who don't comply with subpoenas is we go to court. That's what we do. We don't we don't arrest have the we don't have the sergeant at arms arrest people and throw them in the little clink under the you know in the basement. Although people are like, do that. We need to do that now." Um, we just we have that settled in court. Would this justiciability impact on on the court deciding whether or not to enforce a subpoena from Congress? Would that have an impact on future uh, contempt cases brought into uh, the judiciary by Congress for people who fail to comply with subpoenas? It seems connected. 
Yeah, uh, that's that is exactly right. So there are three ways in which the House can hold someone in contempt for failure to comply with a congressional subpoena. The third way is pursuant to its inherent contempt powers, which as far as I can tell, um, and as far as I think anyone can tell, have not been exercised since the 1930s, right? So nine decades since they've sent out, you know, the the sergeant at arms to drag someone out in handcuffs and stick them in the secret little room beneath the Capitol. Um, that's, I, and, and again, I think the likelihood that that gets put into practice for the president of Deutsche Bank is really, really small. You may disagree, but... I, I don't think that that's super likely. So the other two ways are either criminal contempt or civil contempt. Criminal contempt is a statute originally passed in 1857. It's 2 U.S.C. 192. Um, and it says it's a criminal offense not to comply with a congressional subpoena. So that sounds super straightforward, except that the executive agency in charge of dis determining whether to file criminal charges against somebody is the Department of Justice under the Attorney General. Um, and and we know this, right? Like, even before Bill Barr was Attorney General, um, the, the last four efforts by Congress to, ref to make criminal referrals to DOJ under this statute, uh, DOJ has been like, eh, no, we're not going to refer those out for prosecution. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, there is, there is zero chance that uh, Bill Barr is going to authorize arresting uh, the, the president of Deutsche Bank for failing to turn over his buddy Donald Trump's tax returns. Um, and so then that leaves you with the civil enforcement, which is exactly how we got here in the first place, right? That's a, that's a separate law. That's 28 U.S.C. 1365. And that's the basis for the McGahn case, for the for the Mazars case, for the Deutsche Bank. Case. So that, that you will then have a Supreme Court opinion. Uh, and again, I, I, I want to be clear. I think the only way that we get this Supreme Court opinion bailing out Trump on justiciability grounds is if Trump wins re-election, right? Um, what what the Supreme Court has managed to do is delay oral argument on this case until the middle of May, uh, which means that its opinion will not come out until the fall. And I, I'm I'm comfortable wagering, you know, all of my internet quatlus on it will not come out until after the results of the November election. Right. And it will be held in abeyance. Right. As the justices figure out, like, OK, um, do we completely neuter the power of the the legislative branch to conduct valid investigations? Because that's what this would do. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 I have to think that, you know, outside of the like Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, maybe Alito contingent, like, I, I don't know, probably Thomas as well. Uh, I, 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 you just think that John Roberts doesn't want to burn all this down. Um, maybe he does. I don't know. Um, but, but I, I think that he doesn't want to burn it down, but at the same, at the same time, like um, this is an outcome driven right wing court. And so, uh, yeah, so I was, super nervous when I saw that that request for additional briefing came down. You're, you're, you are right. Right. And Steve Vladek, and by the way, like I, you know, I have a ton of respect for Steve Vladek, right? right? Like it, 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 it ruling that the court 
lacks the ability to hear these cases on justiciability grounds uh, does not necessarily hand a victory to the president, uh, but it does throw up the hands, right? And it says, look, we we just, we don't know. We can't tell you one way or the other. It's not a question that belongs in the courts. And at that point, that leaves you free, if you're Mazars, if you're Deutsche Bank, to side with the person with whom you have a multi-billion dollar financial relationship as opposed to Adam Schiff. And, you know, I, I have a pretty good idea where that's going to come out. Yeah. I mean, it seems sort of it seems sort of obvious. Um, but again, I wish I wish we knew who drove the request for those briefings, because if it, if it was if it was RBG sipping some tea saying, let's get this shit out of the way. It, that's I, I, I love the fact. Right. Like I'm the optimist on my show. So I love the fact that there's somebody more optimistic than me. <laughs> Um, it, it, I, I also want, if I could, if I could do 30 seconds on another issue that Steve raised that I thought was super interesting, but I also disagree. Um, and that is that the request was also directed to the solicitor general, Mm. um, which I think Steve interpreted as the, the solicitor general is, is going to say, uh, that these are justiciable cases. Um, I also don't read it that way. Um, the, the solicitor general explicitly moved to intervene in the Vance case, right? So, uh, uh, so Noel Francisco um, filed first a uh, uh, an amicus brief in November of 2019 uh, in support of the court granting cert um, in the uh, the Second Circuit in the Vance case, uh, and then. Uh, specifically petitioned for the right to participate in oral argument. Um, so uh, it does not surprise me that the court would say, we want all of the parties and the Solicitor General, whom we have reserved time for oral argument, to brief us on this issue, right? Like that, that I don't think that that's any kind of, of secret sign. And if you're looking for, if you're trying to read the tea leaves on that, um, the, the cert petition that Francisco filed the uh, he's the lead attorney as the solicitor general, but 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 the the person who gets the second spot on the line, which I, I can tell you from my years of being the second lawyer on the line, uh, means you're the guy who wrote it. Um, <laughs> was was Joe Hunt, right, Assistant Attorney General Joe Hunt, whom you and all your listeners recognize as you know one of Bill Barr's hatchet men. Um, so I, I I am super curious what. Uh, the Solicitor General's brief will be. I feel pretty confident that um, it's going to be written by Joe Hunt uh, and it will not hang Trump out to dry. If I had to wager, I would say probably the most likely is that they file a one-page letter that says the Solicitor General takes no position on justiciability. Uh, but but I do not think you will get a uh, a brief from the Solicitor General that sides with uh, the 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 uh, the Judiciary Committee in saying that these are in fact justiciable cases. Uh, again, love to be wrong, but that's my reading. Right, but you also don't expect that the Trump side or Noel Francisco will ask for it to be dismissed on judiciability grounds. They'll just not take a position. I, I think Trump will. Right. So remember that that um, you you have the the specific party here is Donald Trump. Uh, in his individual capacity, not that 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 those lines haven't been blurred beyond recognition, uh, but but Trump uh, through his lawyers, you know, Consovoy and 
uh, you know, that that crew uh, will argue that it's non-justiciable, I think. Um, and uh, and I think that the solicitor general will uh, will just punt. God, that'll be so interesting, though, because I, I mean, if I were a justice, I'd be like, but you said in previous cases over and over again that they had to come to court to take care of this. And here we are. Now you're saying, nope, it's not part of it's not the court's job. How do you reconcile that? And I'm sure we'll hear that on May 12th. It's going to come up. So um, thank yeah, you. You and for... I will both be on the phone. It'll be fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be. I'm going to. I just my Girl Scout cookies that I ordered just got here. I've got them ready. Uh, and we're just, I'm just going to eat those and listen. So. All right. What's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Got to know. Samoas. Samoas are a really, really good choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll do lines of Thin Mints all day. But uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Samoas are, are supreme. Uh, anyway, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Opening arguments. Just go to your podcast vehicle of choice and um, start typing in opening and we'll pop up. And, and uh, if you this is the kind of thing you like, then that's probably the kind of thing that you'll like. All right. Well, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate it. Andrew Torres. Thank you for having me, as always. All right, everybody. We'll be right back with the good news block and quarantine confessions. So stay with us. It'll be Jordan Coburn on deck. So stick around. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. If you're like me, you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips out of the house and trying to avoid sold-out grocery stores. Uh, not everyone is social distancing, and it's freaking me out a little bit, but I recommend you try Sunbasket. That way you don't have to deal with it. It's a perfect, delicious solution for the times we're living in. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, which is why I love them. They have gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient with everything pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook, which I love. You can enjoy... Uh, a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from, and you can try mouthwatering dishes, dishes such as roasted salmon uh, with miso-glazed eggplant, black bean tostadas diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole. That is my current favorite. Uh, and Hwasan steak strips and lettuce cups with pickled daikon and carrots. It's so good, and it's just... It, it's absolutely delicious and all the nutrients are there and it's pre-prepped and it takes 15 minutes and it's incredible. You can order from any recipes across their menu. Skip a week whenever you need to or double up on your favorites. Uh, it's simple and easy with no gotchas, no weird things. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety. They are re- reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and increasing sanitization frequency in their distribution centers in order to protect you and your family. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order. When you go right now to sunbasket.com com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans at checkout that's sunbasket.com slash daily beans and then also enter promo code daily beans at checkout for 35 dollars off your order again sunbasket.com slash daily beans and promo code daily beans hey everybody welcome back it's time for the good news well we'll float on good news is on the way And joining us today, joining me today, hello, it's welcome back, Jordan Coburn. Hi, again, how's it going? Hello, I'm good. Oh, people have been telling me that my hello comes from a Seinfeld episode, of which I have never seen with my own eyes. So now I'm wondering if, like, my parents played that episode as I was a kid or something, Hmm. and maybe I picked up on it. Have you seen that episode, though? It's when Jerry... No, no. So apparently I've now since uh, done my research, but Jerry, he, 
like personifies the grumblings of this person that he's dating's stomach and he's like it's like it's talking to me it's like hello and then they like do this weird voice for the stomach and then they keep (laughs) that's like the bit throughout the whole episode is they keep doing the voice and then the girl finds out and it like really pisses her off and she's like you either stop doing that voice or we're done dating and then he chooses the voice (laughs) (laughs) i would too you know yes personally at the very end i think uh (laughs) it's teased that like he comes back and and is like all right i stopped doing the voice but um yeah i need to watch I need, I need to watch every single episode of Seinfeld, which I have not done, and that's a pretty egregious offense as a stand-up comic, but thank you for all of your insights as to why I say hello weird. I don't think I've... I haven't seen... I've seen... I can count the number of Seinfeld episodes I've seen on one hand. Yeah. I'm not... I never, I never got really into Seinfeld. I was more 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, Community, um... That kind of thing. So, but you know, uh, there's always time. Got time now. Might as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, but yeah, we do have a bunch of good news. Do you have any good news before I get to our listener ones? No, I looked. I scoured the internet high and low for right. good news stories. The best I could come up with was that uh, the DNI is about to release transcripts from the House uh, Intelligence Committee's uh, investigation into 2016 Russia attacks on our election. But those have been redacted by Rick Grinnell and are of the Republican-led House Intelligence Committee investigation into Russia. So it, it's, it seemed like good news at first, but it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> well, almost. <laughs> um, I have a bunch of good news and a, even more quarantine confessions from our listeners, so I can, I can kick it off if, if we're ready. Good. Um, our first our first good news comes from Christy. Christy says, I wanted to share the beautiful words of the Navajo Nation on receiving donations from the Irish as payback for help during the Great Famine way back in 1845. Underdogs helping underdogs. Definitely the kind of story we all need more of. And then I've been instructed to click the link and read the tweet. Here we go. Nice. A reply from the Navajo Nation on Irish donations to their COVID-19 fund. Here it is. Um, several of our recent donations for our GoFundMe campaign have been inspired by the Great Hunger Famine in Ireland, which started in 1845. During this difficult time in 1847, the Choctaw Nation provided $170 $170 of relief aid to the Irish to help them. Today, that is the equivalent of $5,000. Not long before the Great Hunger Famine in Ireland, 60,000 Native Americans, including the Choctaw people, had suffered through the experience of the Trail of Tears. The death of many people on the Trail of Tears sparked empathy for the Irish people in their time of need. Thus, the Choctaw extended $170 of relief aid. 173 years later to today, the favor is returned through generous donations from the Irish people to the Navajo Nation during our time of crisis. A message from Irish donor Pat Hayes sent from Ireland across the ocean. From Ireland, 170 years later, the favor is returned to our Native American brothers and sisters in your moment of hardship. The heartache is real. Uh, That's the end of the quote. Uh, The heartache is real. We have lost so many of our sacred Navajo elders and youth to COVID-19. It is truly devastating and a dark time in history for our nation. 
In moments like these, we are so grateful for the love and support we have received from all around the world, acts of kindness from indigenous ancestors past being reciprocated nearly 200 years later through blood memory and interconnectedness. Thank you, Ireland, for showing solidarity and being here for us. Really cool. Thank you so much for sharing that and the link to that tweet um, or message, I should say. That's really beautiful. Um, next up. Nice. From C. Edwards. Good news. Denver pastor and well-known local civil rights activist Terrence Big T. Hughes and COVID victim will leave the hospital after seven weeks on a ventilator. Uh, this is from a news article. Reverend Terrence Hughes. Uh, Reverence, <laughs> sorry. Reverend Terrence Hughes. Uh, after about seven weeks on a ventilator with severe COVID-related lung failure, is breathing on his own out of his coma and scheduled to be released Wednesday from the VA hospital in Aurora. Big T, as friends and family call him, is a leader in Denver's civil rights community, a pastor, and a candidate for the state house until the virus struck him in early March. Big T, age 56, was the Aurora VA's first COVID-19 patient admitted on March 9th. In early April, doctors had been making some progress trying to wean him off more than three weeks on a ventilator until fluctuations in his heart rate and blood pressure forced them to put him back on for another three. It seemed like a devastating setback given that most COVID-19 patients haven't survived prolonged ventilator use, let alone two rounds of it, but he's recovering. That's fucking amazing. And no, you do not hear a lot of stories yeah. about people recovering once, especially they go into a, I, I'm assuming, medically induced coma like that. That's so great. Yeah, that's amazing. And finally, from Alec. Alec says, good news. I work for a small music retail business that focuses primarily on rent-to-own instruments for kids in school music programs, both in the Dallas-Fort Worth and Houston metro areas. We have approximately 100 to 120 employees, depending on the time of year. Our application for PPP funding initially did not get processed fast enough before they ran out of money due to the loophole exploited by large publicly traded corporations. As you know, many of those corporations have returned those funds, so more small business applications could be processed in the past couple of weeks. I saw a substantial amount deposited it into our checking account on monday and my boss confirmed that it was indeed our ppp loan fuck yeah our stores have been quite that was my editorial comment um our stores have been quite busy since we reopened on april 24th and our online division has seen a huge spike in sales for the month of april given the current unemployment rate and the fact that we don't sell essentials i'm surprised the spike has been this large Time will tell how much COVID has negatively affected our business, but right now, I am cautiously optimistic after receiving the PPP loan. Exhale. Woohoo! Hmm. Love that. Woohoo, yay. Yes, that's beautiful. Give back the money, you rich fucks. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is our good news. Thank you, everybody. You can send in good news to us on Twitter at DailyBeansPod, or you can always shoot us an email uh, and we love reading them, so thank you so much for that. And next up, it is time for the best segment ever, Quarantine Confessions. Alright, AG, did you have any Quarantine Confessions personal or sent to you that you wanted to say or anything, or should I just... No, okay. um... Cool. Mm -mm. beautiful nope I'm, I'm i'm excited to hear what our listeners sent in though yes we have a lot today which is very exciting oh, it's good. funny how they come in waves like this um okay so first from ellen ellen says confession i've had a terrible digestive tract during this quarantine 
and I'm more likely to be constipated lately. I decided to take a laxative and it kind of helped, so the next night I took two. Uh-oh, I know where this is going, thinking I'm stuck at home and I'm close to the toilet. The next day, I finally eliminated twice, and they were huge poops. I thought I was done and was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden felt a rumble in my belly. I live in a railroad apartment, and I started briskly walking to the toilet, but I pooped my pants. Oh my oh. god. Oh my god. I guess if you play with fire, you might get burned. Being stuck at home is no excuse to poop my pants. <laughs> mm. Oh my god. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. <laughs> to be to be Dead. done so dirty in your own house when the toilet was right there. That's so funny. Oh my god. What is Do you know what railroad apartment means? Uh, uh an apartment next to the train? Maybe. Or maybe like a long hallway or something. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how that would relate to pooping your pants. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Ellen will correct us. <laughs> By the way, Ellen, bold move including your name. I respect that very much. <laughs> yes, a railroad style apartment um is an apartment with a series of rooms connecting to each other in a line. The name comes from a layout similarity to that of a typical mid 20th century or earlier passenger train car. The style is common in New York City, San Francisco, and the surrounding areas. Cool. That makes sense. That also means it's a longer distance to the toilet. There we go. Mm. My my God. Brutal. Um, I took some smooth move tea, and I only had one one cup of tea and i woke up just like wide-eyed at like 5 30 in the morning with my stomach just like and it wasn't even it's like it's violent how it happens and it has such a pretty flower and nice words on the front of the package and then doesn't tell you you're gonna be shot up at the crack of dawn with shit coming through your crack that was very good your stomach saying hello <laughs> yes yes exactly <laughs> hello it's the new it's a butt rooster for sure um okay next up from jill jill says here's my little quarantine confession to lift my spirits i planted some flower and tomato seeds they're starting to sprout the oh gosh nast nasturtiums i don't know what What's it in context? Na what? Okay, it says the the nasturtiums all of a sudden really took off and started winding themselves around each other and the other seedlings. That must be some some green thumb word. I have no idea what it means. Um, yeah, it's some sort of a plant that I'm I'm not familiar yes. with as, a, as an indoor dweller. Yes. Okay, so they started winding themselves around each other and the other seedlings. So I put a bamboo shish kebab skewer in each nasturtium pot so for the seeding to wind itself around. Then as I moved their pots apart from each other and the other seedlings. Oh, then as I moved... Anyways, sorry. As I did so, I told each seedling that i am social distancing you for everyone's good it's clear that living alone is getting to me thanks for the good humor and sanity you give us every day see you at the next happy hour i'm so sorry for butchering your confession so much jill basically you're taking good care of your plants and keeping them separated so they can play nicely with each other and that is beautiful and adorable and talking to them is encouraged any inanimate object is a friend at this point so that's totally fine does a plant count as being an inanimate object probably not huh i don't know i think so yeah 
Who knows? I mean, I know. Yeah, no, it does grow. I mean, it depends on what sort of timeline you're talking about, right? Yes, that's very true. If we're talking those beautiful shot on the iPhone time lapse films, it's uh, very dynamic. Anyways, thank you. I mean, up next from Carolyn. Um, I have two confessions. One, I have exclusively purchased recycled toilet paper for many years, and although it's not the plushest of options, it's worth it to not have to wipe my butt with virgin forest. I completely agree. <laughs> Lately, it has been sold out everywhere, and I was lucky to be able and I was lucky to even be able to find the regular stuff. Every time I use it, I experience simultaneous guilt and delight. It's so much softer. Two, although even in normal times, I only remove my body hair intermittently. I do usually get to it at least a few times a month. I was due for a shave before quarantine started, but since I live alone and have only myself to impress, I haven't bothered. Now, two months later, I'm a full bushwoman mode. I'm in full bushwoman mode. Emphasis on the bush. Hell yes. I feel you, Carolyn. I love that as well. It's nice to see what it's like to just exist like the cave people once did, you know? (laughs) <laughs> totally and also like any other person that doesn't care about shaving i guess it doesn't have to be a cave person <laughs> yeah like you're either you're either a cave person or brazilian town that's yeah. hilarious yeah definitely somewhere in the middle there i encourage us all to play i i, I don't believe that but by yes. the way i do not believe that totally um, yeah no me neither that came out bad <laughs> <laughs> i too haven't been shaving my legs are fucking crazy just a, <laughs> just a whole. Do you get the sun shining through them like bing? Yes, yes, exactly. Just a whole ginger forest, and all of my pants, because I'm so tall, they like don't go down my legs. So I just have this like crazy hairy ankle region poking out everywhere. It's a good look. Um, <laughs> next up from anonymous. Hopefully, this can make someone else feel like they aren't doing so bad at parenting. My daughter gets super car sick, even on short trips. Last week, we went out to pick up a few things from Target, drive up, and grab donuts for breakfast. Delicious. Uh, She started her normal coughing, and I shoved the puke cup in her face. She stopped. We get donuts, proceed to the Target. On the way home, she starts coughing and gagging again. Out of reflex, I went to put the puke cup back in place and flung water slash spit up all over her face. Oh my god. (laughs) Glee slushy style. I didn't realize she had actually spit anything up the first time. She was crying. I was crying. Her day only got worse. The cat scratched her. She sneezed so hard she slammed her head on the counter, got a goose egg on her forehead, and she bit her finger eating a snack. I think we both needed a drink and an ambient at the end of the day. Kids are hard. Harder when we have no outlets for them during a pandemic. But next time someone feels like they're doing a bad job, just remember, you didn't throw a cup of puke in your kid's face. Thanks for all you do and bringing the news with swears. <laughs> oh my god. I, I would, I would though. Just so you know, I would. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. God, that's brutal. I can't think of something more foul-smelling and, and least throw-on-someone-able than their yeah. own. Let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not discuss details. Uh, I, feel yeah. like, I, I feel like we should just move forward. Yeah, I'm <laughs> down for that. One. I'm down for that. That's a great story. I love, I love all the bodily fluids in this one. This is my favorite. This is the kind of stuff I like to talk about. Uh, next up, from Anonymous, my confession... I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a teacher, and after spending a whole day teaching 
30 12 year olds online and repeating the same instructions a hundred times over to my class without break or food i finally snapped and told my students i had an afternoon meeting and would not be contactable for the last hour of school my meeting was super important it was a back-to-back episode of judge judy (laughs) this decision was perfect and i did not feel guilty one little bit i have been working 15 hour school days trying to correct all work teach online and call parents I honestly cannot wait for the end of each day when I go to bed and unwind with an episode of the Daily Beans before getting up and doing it all again. You are doing a brilliant job at keeping people informed, and I love how you are all staying in touch and working together to keep the authentic feel of the beans, even in lockdown. Sending you all big, long-distance air hugs from Melbourne from one very tired teacher. Ah, sending them mm. back. That's crazy. That is so much fucking work. Wow. Mm. Yeah, thank you for all you're doing. Seriously, teachers are like... Just so painfully underrated, it hurts my brain. Insane. And they're so important. I remember every single teacher of my life so vividly, and each of them played a very important role at whatever stage I was in in my life then. And it's like, yeah, it's so crazy. To be overworked in that environment is so not ideal and crappy, but I'm glad... I'm glad you were able to to get away. That's a great excuse, and you totally deserve that, so hell yeah. Uh, Okay, next up from Anonymous. During this quarantine, I've made some major mental health progress. My therapist and I figured out the root of my negative negative thoughts. This is a huge win because I'll know where to focus and how to get better, but I feel like I've lost a part of myself. Personality traits I used to be proud of, things I played up as talents, are actually unhealthy coping mechanisms. I do them to cover up a deep hurt. I'm not driven. I'm not passionate. I have obsessive of compulsive personality disorder people never noticed how bad it was hiding behind a screen wearing headphones at my desk at home my wife quickly noticed how much of a wreck i was i've been in therapy and medicated for over two years but never made progress like the last month i guess i wanted to write in this confession for anyone who feels like they're not okay keep trying keep seeking help until something feels 100 percent right these things come in waves. All you can do is ride them out and try to set yourself up better for the next one. Sure, I feel like part of my identity is gone, but that was an identity I couldn't find happiness in. Keep looking forward. The little wins add up. Yes! Therapy breakthroughs! That is so, so, so great. I actually had a long conversation with my therapist who told me she was inspired to write an article uh, after speaking to me. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing if your therapist is inspired to write an article after what you talked about but it was about that it was being you know my the way I cope with PTS is to make myself busy and be out and and do things and interact with people and you know be out in the world among others and with the whole COVID-19 I am now I have to be home and I have to be still and that and that allows me to think about myself and 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 so it's actually sort of forcing um, folks who tend to use um, being, you know, being outward doers uh, as a coping mechanism to sit still and have thoughts uh, and and go through it. Uh, and I think that a lot of us, while it's going to be, I mean, there's a lot of you know negative connotations with this this entire administration and situation and the deaths and the cases and the stories but you know that that you know sometimes we just have to sit with our thoughts about ourselves and and deal with them you know and and definitely this this has sort of allowed us to do that so it's really interesting that you you uh, had had that breakthrough I'm I'm very happy I'm very happy for you yeah yeah me too and I think inspiring your therapist to write something 
that that's got to be a, a i mean that's a nice thing about therapists they're never interpreting things in terms of good or bad it's always just like illuminating you know yeah so yeah but yeah i i totally i was actually just thinking this too and again paired with a nice side of guilt for like kind of thriving psychologically in the present state that i'm living in right now but i have also been one that has a fuck ton of unresolved emotional trauma and i'm also just a incredibly sensitive person and i cope with overstimulation by ironically just like constantly moving and never stopping and again yeah like you were saying if you never stopped and you don't ever really have to feel all this shit that's like very painful and uncomfortable and hard to feel and like even though I have not been sleeping very well lately because my brain and body are just like toiling over all of these things it still feels like a huge net gain because at least the things are more in front of you now whereas before you know living in the rat race it wasn't even possible or at least it felt like it wasn't even possible for you to be able to even decipher anything in your life past like four inches in front of your face because you were constantly just dealing with shit you know so yeah 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 um okay thank you so much that was a lovely confession we have three more they're short but i know we've been going for a while ag do you want me to do them tomorrow or do you want to hear them now uh let's 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 do it okay sweet um our first of the last third (laughs) is from anonymous uh they say my confession is my wife is out of work still getting paid though and at a higher risk if she gets coronavirus and i'm still going to work i've been the one getting groceries and such now if i forget something i tell a little white lie and say that it was sold out and secretly add it to the top of the list for next time (laughs) that's a perfect life hack oh unverifiable perfect (laughs) covid providing cover Yes, that's so. That's funny. Uh, take the cover where you can get it, because you're not getting it from the government, that's for sure. Or at least some people aren't. No. Uh, all right, next up, from Anonymous. Confession. I ate the remainder of my candy stash right in front of, uh, of four jealous nephews and nieces with whom I've been quarantined, and I don't care. Eyeing their father's stash, I told them they should be grateful. I detest Mike and Ike's. <laughs> I am not going stir-crazy, I promise. Thank you for your podcast work. I am grateful for the comedy, earnestness, and heartfelt honesty in your reporting. I am sorry it took me this long to support, and thank you for your work. Take care. Stay safe. Aww. No apologies necessary at all. Thank you. This is the best to hear these messages. Thank you for listening. Also, I agree. Mike and Ike's. They're laborious in nature, honestly. Mm, yeah i can't get behind him (laughs) um okay and our last quarantine confession anonymous confession when i was pregnant with my first baby i started cross-stitching a birth announcement after my son was born i added his birth date and details and had it framed it hung in his room until we moved him to get it ready for baby number two i started to make an announcement for the new baby while i was pregnant but i wasn't able to get it done now that we're locked down for the pandemic and I have some time, I thought it would be good to get out my cross-stitch stuff again and finish up my daughter's birth announcement. She's 20. <laughs> Even though she has <laughs> no idea, I feel terrible that I never got hers done. So my plan is to frame it and put it in the box of her baby things. That way, she'll never think I made one for her brother but not her. No mom points lost. Smooth. That's so funny. That sounds like something Lies. my mom would do. I love that. Lies. <laughs> You've been thinking about that for 20 years? Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Lies. It's all lies. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my God. That's great. 
That's so funny. Thank you all so much for sending in your confessions. Um, I, I, I live for these. I really appreciate it, everybody. Uh, and um, this little bit of good news, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is out of the hospital and home and doing well. So, oh, my God. She is such a superhero. It's like not even funny. I know. Oh my I know. God. Well, this wasn't lung cancer or pancreatic cancer or breast cancer. This was just this little gallbladder problem. She's fine. She's fine. She's back at home. She'll be listening to oral arguments over the phone tomorrow uh, or today. I think she did that today. Anyway, she's back to work. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, once you get older, those little problems become big problems real quick, you know? So it's like anytime I hear something from her, I'm just holding my breath, you know? But, ugh. Yeah, vote. And if you don't particularly like Joe Biden, consider yourself voting for Ruth Bader Ginsburg so she can retire. Yes, seriously. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Um, no. Thank you for sending those in. I didn't say this before, but yeah, you can also send in quarantine confessions to the same place you send good news at Daily Beans Pod or our email. And thank you for listening. Yeah. And join us tomorrow. We'll be talking to Natasha Bertrand. She's got a couple of stories that have just come out. So, um, we will talk to you then. Everybody, until then, please take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>